0: My son is here, and I'm glad he's here. Good to see him. Uh, But like I said, we are plowing through the gospel of John. When we did uh, the gospel of Matthew, I said, the Lord has almost made the gospel of Matthew my favorite book, gospel. But now that I'm back in John, I have to kind of lean back to John. It's just This man had a 300-word vocabulary, but yet when the Holy Spirit touched him, he writes things so powerful and and, and just in-depth. It's amazing what God can do with a life, a life that's yielded to him. And so we talked about in chapter 16, Uh, In chapter 15 last week, around verse 16, and I told us to bask in that verse when Jesus says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you, ordained you, something that will happen, that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, abide, the same word, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. Because we're praying, our prayers are in line with Jesus' heart. And whenever we pray that way, no doubt about it, the Father will answer those prayers. And so this section from verse 1 to verse 17 is on the true vine and the branches. And it ends with these words, these things Jesus said. I command you that you love one another the means by which disciples, the branches, remain in Jesus, the true vine, we abide in fellowship with him. And it's through obedience is always the key. Something that Jesus, he emphasizes time and time again through this section. Matter of fact, verse chapter 15, verse 7, he says this, if you abide in me, And my words abide in you. You will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. He says in verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. He says in verse 12, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Not Once again, not as we love ourselves, but the way Jesus has loved us. That's the way we should love one another. In verse 14, he he says, you are my friends if you do whatever I command you. And then he says in verse 17, these things I command you once again that you love one another. And so once again, this is the aspect of obedience. Jesus' stress is that his disciples, they had to love one another. And it's a crucial reminder to us, to all believers, because we can walk around in this world and get dirty and get filthy just because we touch it. And there's stress in the world, at, at the workplace, at school, wherever you may go in this world. So it's nice to come into the body of Christ and we can just settle down there and love one another. And we're, it's, it's a like-mindedness that we won't find anywhere else. And that's the way it should be in the church. He says in verse 18, Jesus still speaking, he says, if the world hates you, and that's another class condition here, if, and it does, it could be if, and it might, if, and it's not. But right here, the class condition is, if the world hates you, and it does, don't get it twisted. We're, we're swimming upstream in the world, in the world system. So he says, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me first before it hated hated you. That's supposed to be a consolation to the believer. When the world is pressing against us, trying Trying to make us coincide with it or act like the world in the world system, Jesus is saying, No, first, that it hated me. And Paul personifies this. He speaks of it even in nature, of how the world, because of sin, has uh, affected nature around it. He says in Romans chapter 8, verse 20 and 21 For the creation, was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. One of these days, we don't even have to worry about climate change, global warming. The issue is one day the Lord Jesus Christ is going to going to make a new heaven and a new earth. We should be good stewards of this land, but it should not be inverted that we care about nature and the earth more than we care about individual souls. That's what he says here. And it was subjected to this because of Genesis chapter three, the sin of man once again. The world, because of Humanity's sin is we live in a fallen world. It's a system with values not like the believers in Christ. Remember, Jesus Christ, He came to redeem the world, but once again, He was rejected by the world. Therefore, what did He do? He began to call those out of the world, His children, and He begins to separate his own from the world. That's why the world rubs us differently and we rub the world differently. And what the crucifixion did formerly, there's a great divide after his crucifixion and his resurrection. It's the sons of light and the sons of darkness and they are not compatible, not at all. And every individual has to make up his or her mind what kingdom they will live. There's no neutrality to this. If your choice is, I'm not going to make up my mind to choose Jesus, well, you've already made up your mind to choose the enemy. That's what Jesus says in Matthew twelve thirty. He puts it this way. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. He says in verse 19, if you were of the world, that's the second-class condition, and it means if, and you're not of the world anymore because I've called you out of the world, the world would love its own. We would be in league with the world. We would not be opposed with, against the world. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. I did not, and I was supposed to write the passage down from A.W. Tozer, but the gist of it is he says the problem with the believer now is the believer thinks they should be friends with the world. They're okay. The world is okay with you when you need to understand that the world is a battlefield and its forces is against us because we know the prince of the power of the air, Satan, is against us, and he orchestrates the world but we try to cuddle up to the world, and the world has no part of us. And he was speaking of that, and that's what Jesus is telling us here. We need to understand that the world, we have an enemy, Satan, the world, and this flesh, and we must go to war every morning when we wake up against those three. Jesus says, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. So the first problem why the world hates us is because I have chosen you out of the world. That's strike one. We have a different destiny now. I'm not swimming downstream with the rest of the world anymore. We have a different set of morals. We have a different set of values. We have a different master. We march to the beat of a different drummer. That's what he's saying. And also, we have a different hope now. We have an eternal hope, Jesus Christ. And the world does not like that. We grate against it. Because all of that shows us is that we have come to know Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior. We've asked him to forgive us of our sins. We've repented, and he's come into our life. And so the world will hate us because of Christ, because he's chosen us out of the world. We don't belong here anymore. We should be homesick. There should be a yearning inside of every believer that I just can't get comfortable here. If you're comfortable here, truly examine yourself. I'm not saying once again we're not masochists, but no matter what happens in this life, good times or hard times, we should never feel at home here because Hebrews tells us we are pilgrims and sojourners. We are marching our way through here and we're never, you know, it's like my house. It used to be my mom's house when I lived with her, it was her home. But my house, I can go to anybody else's home and I'm okay and you, you guys treat me well, but it's something about my home. It's something about me opening the door and taking off my shirt and just throwing it on the floor. And by the time I get to my lazy recliner, I'm just chilling out at that time. And Lydia gets on me and, hey, you need to pick up your clothes, all those things. But I can't do that at Bob Bowman's house. I can't do that. That's what I'm seeing that's the yearning. It's okay down here, and, 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 and it's okay to do things down here and have fun down here, but make no mistake about it. I'm not comfortable. It's not home. And that's what Jesus is stressing to his disciples. You're fighting against the grain here. He says in the latter part of verse 20, if they persecuted me. Now, remember, he's washed the disciples' feet. They've had the Seder meal. He's talked about the true vine. He's, he's told them about the, the paraclete, the helper, the comforter. Comfor- is comfortable. He's coming. And he says, now I've got some hard things to tell you also. He says, if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. And that word persecutes means to put to flight. That's what it does, the world does, to a child of God, to chase like a wild beast. And I'm sure some days we feel that way. And that promise is not on one of those nice portraits on our walls. That's a promise. We will be persecuted down here for Christ's sake. He says, if they've kept my word... We can distinguish between believers and unbelievers here. If they've kept my word, they will also keep yours also. So in the midst of all of this tension that is going on, there are going to be some that will hear you as you, com- as you proclaim the gospel and you're living a holy life. Some will see that. Jesus says, but all these things they will do to you. For my name's sake. Now, I know you guys agree with me that in the United States of America today, we no longer live in a Christian nation. I don't even think we live in a post Christian nation. I believe we live now in an anti Christian nation. That's what's happened. Uh, When the tide shifted, I don't know. There there was an erosion, a little by little, as prayer was taken out of schools, as the Ten Commandments were taken down, as Bible reading was taken out of school. All of those things started the erosion of Judeo-Christian ethics anyway. And there's an effect because of that. The hostility, the reason being the hostility towards Jesus Christ. And since we are his children, it splashes up on us more and more each and every day. It's all because of the person and who he is truly is, Jesus. He is God. You see in the United States, it's tightening its grip on free speech and especially religious speech. You can talk about any other religion and it's okay. But as soon as you name the name of Jesus, you can get away. Try it sometimes. You can get away with saying God. Oh, I love God. And they agree. The unbeliever agree with you. I love God also, whoever your God is. But as soon as you say Jesus Christ is my God and I follow him, there's the rub. There's the tension. Jesus said it would happen. And that's the way of the country. Telling the truth about sin is becoming hate speech today. Saying Christ is the only way to the kingdom of God, they don't agree with that. Jesus, knowing that, he says, but all these things they will do to you for my name's sake. He didn't say the father's name, say, even though they're they're one, and we're going to look at that in a minute. He says, because they do not know him who sent me, the God they say they are worshiping. and, And yeah, I follow God, but not obeying Jesus Christ. Jesus is saying, they don't know my father. He says, they do not know him who sent me. It's that simple. They think they know God. They believe what Oprah Winfrey says, that there's many roads to heaven. And if you just follow your heart, you're going to make it there. That's a lie from the pit of hell. There's only one way to heaven, and that is through Jesus Christ. So he says, they don't know him who sent me. Verse 22, he says, if I had not come and spoken to them, notice what he says, They would have no sin. They would not be guilty of rejecting the revelation of Jesus Christ, all of the light they are receiving since he has touched down and he's speaking the truth. He said, but now they have no excuse for their sin because he has come. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would have no sin. But now they have seen and also hated both me and my father. Jesus will say, say, I proceeded forth from the father. He has told us time and time again, the father and I are one. He told Philip, Philip, how long have I been with you? When you've seen me, you've seen the father. He's grooming them. He's teaching them. Jesus is letting them know that they can't use ignorance for an excuse. They've had all of this light, and they've rejected him. Jesus rebuked those Jews that were seeking a sign. He said this in Luke chapter 11, the queen of the south will rise up in the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. Why? Why? For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And indeed, a greater than Solomon is here. Capernaum, you've been listening to me. The men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And indeed, a greater than Jonah is here. The key is, the greater the privilege, America... The greater the light, and we've had much light. How many Bibles do we have in our homes? Even TBN, if you were to turn there, you would have to fish out the bones, but you would hear enough of the word to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. America has been flooded by light. The greater the privilege, the greater the responsibility. And no greater privilege could anyone have than to have Jesus Christ in their midst and speaking to them, speaking the truth in love like no one could ever do, and they reject him. That's what he's speaking of here. He says, they have both seen and hated me and my father, but this happened that the word might be fulfilled which is written in their law. When he says their law, he's speaking of the Jewish scriptures here. You guys have read this. You guys should understand what I'm saying more than anyone, but you're too worried about your place in this life. John will tell us, I think Luke will also tell us it was because of envy that they put him to death. They knew who he was most of the Uh, elite religious leaders, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, but their place in this world for 70, 80, 90 years, they value that more than eternal life with Jesus. That's what we have to weigh. That's what we have to weigh every day as we walk around in this world. We have to be careful. Do I want to do things the right way, even though I might not be as successful if I were just to fudge a little bit and do it the wrong way? That's what he's saying here. He says, because they hated me without a cause. That's true for today. How many hate Jesus Christ without a cause? The only thing they know about him, I would think, is, well, they say he's a holy God. But the unbeliever, they they can't even fathom the holiness of him. And I know I'm not holy, so I like doing my thing, so I despise him. But he said, but this happened that the word, once again, that word is logos, the prelude, the prologue in the beginning. In the beginning was the word, and the word was was with God, and the word is God, the logos. That's what he uses here, might be fulfilled. And that should be a consolation to us that he says prophecy here. What I'm saying to you is prophecy and everything I'm telling you about in the scriptures will be fulfilled. I love that because when I start thinking about what will be fulfilled for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, that will happen. And with the trump of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus shall we always be with the Lord. The Logos will be revealed. It will happen, and that should be a consolation to every believer. The Logos has been revealed. He tells us in verse 26, but when the helper comes, the paracletus, the one who comes alongside of us. But he will do more than that. We will find out in a minute. But when the helper comes, whom I shall send, he has said earlier, I will pray the father and he will send. Now he's saying whom I shall send. And so what that tells us that Jesus Christ is deity, He's God. All the way through the Scriptures, if we were to allow the Lord to speak to us, the Holy Spirit to speak to us, we would know that God is deity as much as the Father, as much as the Spirit, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of literally the truth. Definite article there. I am the truth. Jesus has said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. If you want to know what truth is, and it's hard to to really view truth today with all of the propaganda and everything else that's going on. And I said, Lord, who is right? Where can I get my bearings from? And then he speaks to me, go to the word. uh, One of the apostles, one of the prophets says, to the law, and the prophets, and if they don't speak what's in here, there's no light in them. So if I want to get my bearing straight, I go to the Scriptures. The Spirit of truth who proceeds forth from the Father. And he says, he will testify of me. The Holy Spirit who will come at Pentecost. And they will be filled there and they will become witnesses. Remember John, I think chapter chapter 20, when Jesus resurrects, and he goes into the upper room, and he breathes, and I know this is correct, he breathes on them, and the Holy Spirit comes inside of them. But he said, no, 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 no. You need something else. That will get you into the kingdom, and you can follow me, I guess. But he says, I don't want you going anywhere until the promise of the Father when the Holy Spirit at the day of Pentecost comes upon you. And that's when he says, then you will be my witnesses, martyrs, martyrs. After that, Peter, you don't have to worry about running anymore. You don't have to worry about, hey, you're the one who's going to say, hey, just don't crucify me. Crucify me upside down because now the Holy Spirit has come upon me. And I have that courage to be witnesses to him. Ephesians speaks about it all the time. Pray for more of the Holy Spirit. It's really not praying for more of the Holy Spirit. But Lord, give me grace to yield That I will allow more of the Holy Spirit to control my life. He's there, but we must do the yielding so we will die to self. That's what he's saying here. He said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And he says, and you also. So now he says the witness is the Holy Spirit. But wait, you're going to be my witnesses too. And you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. We have to understand that the apostles had a special, a particular place in the first-century church in the early church. People ask me all the time. I was shaking hands with one guy, and I said, "My name is Victor Summerhour." And he said, "Pastor." I said, "No, my name. Well, you can call me that, but I'm Victor Summerhour." And he said, uh, "I'm an." I'm an apostle. <laughs> and I told him, and I said, whoa, he's an apostle. And I had to go back and ask him. I said, what kind of apostle are you? Because there's a criteria, and I know apostles mean sent out. Sent out, planning churches, things like that. You could use it in that sense. But what Jesus is speaking of here, there was a special criteria for being one of these boys. And they had to know, and the criteria was, you had to be with Jesus Christ, an eyewitness from his baptism until his ascension. You had to see all of that take place. Not only that, you had authority because you received it from Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit to write Scripture. I don't see the apostle Victor Sumrower. I don't see my book in here. I'm not not one. So... They ha- and then the 12 apostles are written in the foundation stone in the New Jerusalem. So those were apostles. You might have some apostles that, that go and plant churches and things like that. But when it comes to the oritative word of Scripture and all those things, that's over with. That's off the scene. And that's why he's pouring into these disciples so much. And then there's a chapter break here because verses 1 through 4 of chapter 16 should really be in chapter 15. I just want you to realize that, but we'll continue uh, chapter 16, verse 1. He says, These things I have spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble. When do we stumble? I don't know about you, but I stumble when I don't see what's in front of me. I was not looking and then I stumble. Do you know, some people stumble and they never get back up. We need to be careful to not stumble. Uh, they use another word to be offended. Jesus says, don't be offended in me because of the things I'm telling you. What things are he, is he speaking of? that he does not want them to stumble. Remember, they're in that upper room. He says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. He says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And then he says that you should love one another and serve one another. Don't don't stumble there. That he would send another comforter, he says, like himself. And then he says, if they had seen him, they had seen the father. Then he begins to speak about abiding in him. And by abiding, they would bear much fruit and they should keep his commandments as evidence as their love for one another. What Jesus is really saying is, I've got you guys. I'm going away and he's going to speak on that. But I've got you. No need to worry. But in all of that wonderful exhortation he's giving them, he says, know this. I don't want you to stumble over this. Since the world hates you, understand that it hated me before it hated you. And then he says, these things I have spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble. He says in Matthew, when, he, when, when Jesus is speaking of the, the, the sore and the different types of soil, he says, those receive the seed on stony places... This is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. I'm telling on myself, this is what happened to me at the age of 13. I immediately received the word with joy. And this is what happened before I reached the age of 14. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a little while. Or when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. The word took on fertile ground at the age of 32. I don't have to worry about me that anymore. Do we get offended? And why do we get offended? Do we get offended when persecution comes our way? Some backsplash may happen because it's because of the Christians that Roe versus Wade was overturned. I'll take that. I prayed many years that that would happen, and no matter what they try to make me to make me stop proclaiming the gospel, whether I'm at a grocery store, whether I'm walking the streets, whatever it is, I'm not going to stop doing that. I'm going to proclaim the gospel and let the chips fall where they may because I know God has me and I know that I'm living in a world that is hostile towards Jesus Christ and his gospel. Therefore, they will be hostile towards us. We have to remember that. He says they will put you out of the synagogues. They will ostracize us. That's what they would do in the synagogues. You could know longer go to the marketplaces and eat. Even when you die, they would not even give you a burial if you had been kicked out of the synagogues. So it meant something in the first century to be a believer in Jesus Christ. Jesus says, yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God's service. We know there's another world religious system I believe that's already in the making right now. And that religious system is going to ride right alongside the Laodicean church. Because that's the church age we are living in right now. And this great religious system is going to be formed around us. And that great religious system will not tolerate us. Not at all. That's coming If our faith is exclusive, and I believe our faith is exclusive in Jesus Christ, if we say that we believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven, if we say that Jesus is the Jewish Messiah and he has a plan for the nation of Israel, this world will kick against the pricks on that. And it's going to join a body, this world religious system of all different kinds of interfaith. This is my opinion right here. Promise keepers, at the beginning, they did well. They did well. I think they have come back a little, but after, but then they started different faiths started getting on the pulpit and giving them time to pray, witch doctors. they, They had Buddhists and all kind of people on the platform, and that thing fell off for a while. But they're coming back to Christ, and they're coming back in force, and that's what it takes. Jesus Christ is the only way, and that's what we must preach if we're being honest. That's what Jesus is wanting them to know. He says the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God's service. And these things they will do to you because they have not known the Father nor me. They did not recognize the Father at work in Jesus Christ. Remember when he said in the first chapter, he says that I am in the bosom of the Father while he was standing right there talking to the religious leaders. He always does the things that pleases the Father. He said in John 14, 11, Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. Isaiah had told them that he would heal the lame, that he would make the blind to see, that the lame would leap like harp, When you see the hearts, when you see these things happening, know that the Messiah is in your presence. But they didn't because they loved this world more than humbling themselves before the Savior. He says, and these things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. He says, I didn't tell you all of this, Because I didn't have to, because I was here. And all of the hatred and all of the frustration was aimed toward me. And I shielded you guys from everything. But once again, I'm going away now. And you need to put your big boy clothes on. I'm going away, and I have someone who will help you with this. Just think, Jesus has been in the upper room with these disciples, these apostles telling them all of these things good, some things good, some things to them was not so good. And he's telling them, do not stumble. And when they arrest him, every one of them will flee. Not one will stay there. What about you? They knew all of these things were going to happen. It didn't take Jesus by surprise. Matthew, skinned alive. Can you believe that? Andrew, crucified and shot full of arrows. Mark, drug behind a chariot until he died. Thomas, they say he was impelled in India. James, thrown from the temple pinnacle. The other James, he was beheaded. We know Peter. He was crucified upside down. And all of them moving forward, even though they were martyred at that time, they had died many years before this. When Jesus told them to pick up your nets, put down your nets, and follow me, they had that heart set, they, they had that mindset that, not now, I can't do it now because they're going to flee, but just keep walking. Just keep putting your trust in me. Just keep putting one foot before the other. Remember, Abraham did not succeed from the beginning when he went down to Egypt. Hey, tell him you're my sister, Sarah. Until he said, Abraham, walk among me and be blameless. He had seen all of the blessings of the Lord in his life, but they will do it. When, the, when Pentecost comes and fills them with the Holy Spirit, they would lay their lives down for the Lord. Remember, John had a disciple. And I love Fox's Book of Mortars because I read Fox's Book of Mortars because the reflection on me shows that I'm a wimp. I'm playing t-ball. And really, all of us is playing t-ball compared to these dudes And it speaks of Polycarp. And when they finally found out where Polycarp lived, they sent the Romans to get him. And while he was laying on his pillow, his pillow became ablaze, and the Lord let him know that they're coming. And so Foxes tells us he gets up, prepares them a meal. When they come, they say, Hey, you guys, I've prepared your meal. I know you're coming to get me. Why don't you eat? And while you're eating, I'm going to pray about two hours in prayer. And then they begin to tell Polycarp as they put him on the cart, Polycarp, we like you. Just why don't you just take that little incense and sprinkle it at the feet of Caesar or pretend you even do that. It doesn't doesn't matter to you. You know who your God is. Polycarp says, he has been faithful to me. For 85 years. How can I deny him now? And they say the men who were nice, after they tied him up, they were so enraged and set him ablaze that it was a sweet smelling incense that came off of his body and he wouldn't burn. And they put more tar on him. They begin to burn him And all he was doing at that time was praying to the Lord. The same Holy Spirit that was in Polycarp and that was in these disciples are in us. All we have to do is allow him to have his way in us. He says in verse 5, But now I go away to him who sent me, and none of you ask me where are you going. Now Peter has said Ask them, where are you going? And Thomas says, Lord, we don't don't know where you're going. And so how do we know the way? But I believe Jesus is saying here, you've really, truly, you're not concerned with where I'm going because you're too worried about me leaving you. The reason you ask these questions is not that you're concerned with me. It's because you're worried about me leaving you, my departure here. So he says in verse 6, But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. That means it can be physical or emotional pain. They thought they were going to be spiritual orphans after Jesus left them. Nevertheless, a beautiful verse Jesus tells them. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage. It is to your benefit. It is better for you that I go away. And you know, they had to be thinking as he said this, how in the world could it be better? Could it be a, a, a better benefit for you to go away? Who's going to take over the uh, two, two fish and five loaves? Who, who's going to feed us now? Who, they have had a cushy position For three and a half years, he fed them. He took care of them. All of the the, the abuse came to Jesus' way, and they they were doing well. That's why it was so hard for them to understand that he was going to leave. But notice what he says. I want us to get it here. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. They are bewildered by this. How in the world can the Holy Spirit be superior to the physical presence of Jesus in their lives? That's the question. Well, it's because Jesus in his physical state, the incarnation, his his presence, he could only be with them. He couldn't go anywhere else. Wherever he was located, that's where he was at. And nobody complained about that. His boys didn't complain about that. But there is something more superior than having God with me, and that's what Jesus was, and that is to have him where? Inside of me. That's why Jesus said, it is to your advantage if I go away. I I sleep. I'm not with you. I might go to another town. You're here. But there's going to be someone who comes along who's going to be inside of you that will be always with you. And you can talk to him anytime you want to. If you can't sleep at night, you can roll over and begin to pray and tell him your heartaches and tell him your concerns and all of those things and what's on your heart. So it's going to be to your advantage. That's what he's saying. And what's amazing, one of the amazing things to me, and I guess I can lose sight of it sometimes like anybody else can, is that he says the Holy Spirit will be in you. Think about that. Help me out. I haven't read the Old Testament for a minute now. Just joking. The holies of holies the temple, and then the holies of holies, and then there was the, the holy place, and then the most holy, which is the holies of holies, that word he uses is naos, and that's where God himself dwelled, and what he's telling these cats is, it's going to be expedient, it's going to be to your advantage, it's going to be beneficial for you, because when I go away The Holy Spirit is coming to reside in you. That should make PV walk a lot better than he does. When the high priest could only go in to the most holy place once a year on Yom Kippur and the sacrifice had to be made and the blood of the lamb has to be put on the mercy seat, he could only go in there for a minute. And I get him in me 24-7? My prayer life should be a lot better. My walk with him should be a lot better. What a privilege we have to have him reside in us. We need to think on those things. Because I can't think of one greater honor than God Himself residing in me. He, Peter says, We are the temple of God, being built into that temple, holy stones. And He wants to reside with us. I'm blown away by that. God Almighty Himself. He says in verse 8, and when He has come, and what He does from verse 9 to verse 11, He begins to speak of the ministry of the Holy Spirit towards the world. He has spoken of the ministry of the Holy Spirit in believers, but now he begins to speak of the ministry of the Holy Spirit towards the world. He says, and when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment to come. Jesus said this, tarry until you are endued with power in Luke's gospel. And then he says, and you are witnesses... Of these things. Luke 24, 46, 47 tells us, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remissions of sins should be preached in his name to all nations. And you are witnesses of these things. Witnesses of what things? Of the death and the resurrection of Christ. He says once again, and that repentance and remissions of sins should be preached. The thing that we are to be a testimony to and a witness to is very narrow and is pointed to, to a life-changing truth. He says this in Acts chapter 1, latter part of verse 4. He commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. And then he says in verse 8 of that same chapter, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. When he's speaking of being a witness here, he's not speaking of the charismatic gifts of the Spirit, but he's speaking of a life-changing power that comes through the power of the Holy Spirit, speaking of the Roman world when they would begin to plant churches and the gospel would be spread and lives would be changed. That's what he's speaking of here. uh, The Holy Spirit, we know he gives gifts to men, but he's speaking of the empowering of the Holy Spirit, the changing of lives. Notice what he says in verse nine. He says, he will convict the world of sin And of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, this is why? Because they do not believe in me. So he identifies the problem. And the problem isn't sin itself. Notice he doesn't say, This is the problem, because you commit murder, or you committed adultery, or you watch pornography, or you are lesbian or gay, or you are selfish. He doesn't say any of those things. He says, the problem is they believe not in me. There has been a provision made for sin. Adultery will not send anyone to hell. But it's the refusal of the sin bearer that sends someone to hell. It's like this. If you go to a doctor and he finds out that you have some kind of disease and right then and there he gives us, he gives you the remedy. But you don't take the remedy and soon you die. Well, you truly didn't die of the disease. You died of the remedy. It was there. That's what Jesus is saying. That's what the Holy Spirit will do. It will convict the world of sin. And that's a good thing to be convicted. The Holy Spirit will bring conviction to the entire world. And then you have a choice. Will I repent of my sin and give my life to Jesus Christ? Or I will live my way. That's what he says here. Matter of fact, the unpardonable sin is that's the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And what is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? Not repenting of your sin and giving your life to Jesus Christ. You say no. The Holy Spirit is calling you. The Holy Spirit is drawing you. And you says no, I want none of you. That's the unpardonable sin. He says in verse 10, of righteousness... Because I go to my father and you see me no more. Now, why would he say that proves that he's righteous? Because all the time Jesus had touched down here, he says, when you've seen me, you've seen the father. He says, I'm equal with God. I proceeded from the father. And they said, no, he's a sinner. Not only did they say he was a sinner, they loved to say that he was a blasphemer because he made himself equal with God. So the proof of his righteousness When he was buried in his resurrection and he ascended to the father, they knew there's an empty tomb in Jerusalem today that he's back where he belongs with the father as one. It proves his oneness with the father. And then he says of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. And when was he judged? At the foot of the cross when Jesus laid down his life and at the resurrection. And that's why the enemy is pursuing us now with everything he has, because he knows that his time is short. He says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Who could blame them for not being able to bear these things now? Their are concerned for themselves and that their best friend is leaving them. I would be feeling the same way. He says, however, When he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. That word guide literally means he assists in reaching a desired goal. That's why the the, the scriptures go together hand in glove. That desired goal that the Holy Spirit will lead us to is the kingdom of God. He will get us there. The Bible says in the book of Ephesians, we have been sealed with the Holy Spirit of redemption. He has sealed us. We belong to him and it's his responsibility to get us to that goal. He's the guide. That's what he's saying there. For he will not speak on his own, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will tell you things to come. And he's, when he says things to come, it's not just of the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's about these scriptures that are, that are God-breathed that the apostles will write. The worship team can come up. Verse 14. And I love this verse. He will glorify me for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. You see the connection there? Jesus touched down on this earth and he spoke everything the Father told him to say. And Jesus is saying, I'm leaving, but the Holy Spirit will say everything I've told him to say. That shows the interdependence of the Godhead. Yes, they're three, they're one in essence, but they have different functions. It was the entire, matter of fact, it was an entire Godhead who created the world. They all, remember, the Holy Spirit hovered over nothingness. Uh, Colossians tells us Jesus spoke this world into existence. So they all have their role and they all have their function, but they act as one in agreement. Hear, O Israel, the Lord thou God, the Lord is one. He speaks of his oneness i 'm going give, give me a one minute on this rabbit trail. He speaks of his oneness all the way through the Old Testament. You get shadows of when Abraham is sitting at his tent door, and these three messengers come. some say one was Jesus, but I believe all three was in the person of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. so you see shadows that 's why the Jew had it so bad. They went into bondage in Babylon because they worshiped idols. And you're not going to tell me there's more than one God when they got out of there. And then here comes the Messiah walking and saying, When you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Stooped and instilled with all that, you might have picked up a stone and thrown it at him. I'm sure you wouldn't. That's what the Holy Spirit came to do the open eyes. Open eyes. That's what he wants. We're not going to live here forever, you guys. And I said this from the beginning. If you haven't made a choice, if you want to repent of your sins and give your life to Jesus Christ, you've already made the choice. You didn't. What's 70 years? What's 80 years? What's 90 years? And then spending an eternity in hell. Just because we are selfish individuals, we don't take our breath on our own. God gives us that breath. He does all those things for us. But we, the problem is we want to be our own God. And so we won't bow the knee to the one true God. That's what it's about. But I implore you. Repent of your sins and give your life to Jesus Christ. It will be the greatest thing you've ever done and you could ever do. Because man was created to worship and he will worship something or someone. So you might as well worship the one true God, Jesus Christ. Father, I'm so glad. I'm so glad that you called me. That you came back after 20 years. And you called me back to you. Lord, I pray that you will call the unsaved world to your side. That you would open the eyes of the blind. If our gospel is hid, it is hidden because the God of this world have blinded their eyes, blinded their minds that they can't see. Lord, would you remove the veil? would you make every believer in here a better witness for your glory? That you would make us uncomfortable here. That you would give us hearts that longs to be with you and that will do your great commission, witnessing. Father, we love you. We thank you that we are filled, those that are believers with the Holy Spirit. May we continue to abide May we continue to grow, and may we continue to seek your face. And we ask all of these things through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, to the Father God. Amen.